Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Play Sheet Podcast. I'm here, as always, with my friend Joe. Hey, guys. And we're here once again to do a wrap-up of Game Week 8 and also bring you our predictions on Game Week 9 as well. So looking at some of the analysis, we'll touch briefly on Heinz's incredible corkscrew touchdown, look at Tua's first start in the NFL, which happened to get very, very fighty this week. Everyone was kung fu fighting, man. <laughs> Absolutely. And we'll also touch on the Steelers and how they continue to steamroll. So without further ado, Joe, let's talk about the Falcons at the Panthers, shall we? I stayed up late on Thursday to watch this game. Wasn't the most exciting game. One of the things that I took from it, the Falcons were failing to finish drives off quite a bit. They had the kick a coup out. And I mean, aside from a blip on his report sheet when he missed the PAT towards the end, coup's been great for them and scored a lot of points from a tee. Panthers were creative in trying to get Curtis Samuel the ball. I was going through his stats, like watching the game, it felt like he had a huge game, but I think it's kind of skewed by the touchdowns he had. He had both a rushing touchdown and a receiving touchdown. It wasn't a hugely exciting game, but we did have an ejection in it, and that's probably the first of many ejections and fights we'll be talking about. Charles Harris did a dirty hit on Bridgewater. Yeah, after the kick that came by Fowler. Yeah, it was pretty dirty up from, you know, those dirty birds. Charles Harris definitely deserved to walk. It could have been nastier. Oh, 100%. I mean, it was so needless. Bridgewater was almost on his back by the time that Harris came in with that hit. It was so late. And I know that these things happen at a very quick pace and there's arguments. It's difficult to stop once you've gone into something. But that tackle was so late. And to your point, it could have been a lot more dangerous because he, he ended up on his neck. Yeah, and this kind of argument about, oh, it's hard to stop once you've started. Everyone knows the rules and it's part of the game. But if you're going in on a quarterback and he's going down, you've got to be planning for that. He didn't think about that. He went in low, went in with a helmet. Yeah, he's out. Yeah, and the problem with that as well is, or the shame, I suppose, is that Bridgewater was playing really well until he suffered that injury. In the first half, he was 8 of 9 for 102 yards and a touchdown. Yeah, and it was a, a lovely touchdown throw that he threw out there to Curtis Samuel. Really, really nice. Freddie the Needle. But he just didn't look the same after he came back. You know, he was really struggling with that neck injury. He was shook up. And I mean, it must be pretty hard when you do have a neck injury, like in that kind of part of your body, to really air the ball out. So it's a shame. I think the Falcons probably still would have won. I don't think it would have changed the result too much. Yeah, I think a few things that the Falcons did do quite well is they did a great job of bustling up Davis for the most part. You know, they restricted him to 66 yards on 13 attempts. Props to the Falcons defence finally coming together for something. And, you know, they rushed Bridgewater pretty well also. And the Panthers O-line was terrible. Just did not do a yeah. good enough job of protecting him. It'll be interesting to see what happens when C-Mac gets back. Will we still see any Davis at all? I mean, the way he has been playing, you'd probably say he deserves probably more snaps than he was getting prior to C-Mac going down. Will we see Curtis Samuel getting these kind of trick plays, these creative plays to get him in the game? be interesting to see how much they use C-Mac when he's back. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to think that Davis probably does eat into that usage a little bit. If nothing else, it just... Preserves him. Yeah, it preserves him. But I think you'll probably see fewer of those Samuels plays and passes. I don't think you'll get that as much now that C-Mac's back. I agree with you. If you've got C-Mac back, I don't see you giving the ball to anyone but C-Mac within the red zone now. But, you know, that said, letting Samuel do that kind of creative play, it worked for them. They got a touchdown. There's an argument to keep these kind of creative plays in, just like what the Chiefs do. They use players like Tyreek Hill in the running game now and again just to keep defences guessing. So I think it would be maybe short-sighted for the Panthers to just give it all back to C-Mac. Yeah. So let's move on then to the Bills at the Patriots. This was a very close game in the end, Joe. Watching this game, I don't think either team really came out of it looking that good. No, I completely agree. It's no secret that this is not a vintage Patriots team. If they're not already, they're going to have to go through some kind of rebuild here. Well, there's already talks that they're willing to discuss. There are rumours swirling around about Gilmore. It's quite a high price that the Patriots have for him. But the fact that the Patriots are willing to ship Gilmore kind of tells you the direction that they're going. It's not necessarily the wrong move. I mean, Gilmore isn't playing at the standard he was playing at last year. I mean, he had a career year last year. He's been one of the best corners in the league for the last, well, since he's been at the Patriots. 
but he's certainly not playing to that standard this year. It's a rich price of Patriots one for him, though. I believe it's a first rounder. And a player. Yeah, which if you said that last year, you'd probably bite your arm off to get him, but standards dropped. So let's see if any teams are willing to bite on that one. I mean, it was funny watching it because for two decades, the Bills have suffered the Patriots dominating the division, winning rivalries, and this was finally the chance to turn the tables. Then we have this moment where Cam Newton in the dying minutes of the game has the opportunity to, well, does take it all the way to the red zone. And the Bills must have just been so familiar with an ending like that. You know, the Patriots always finding a way to win. But lo and behold, the defence comes up big and forces a fumble from Cam to win the game. And you have to say it's a bit of a rookie error that from Cam. They're in field goal range to tie the game and send it to overtime. All you have to do is not turn the football over. And for a man of Cam's size, that's just a case of keeping it high and close to you, isn't it? He should not be having the ball punched out from behind him. Ball security, I mean, it's just 101. When it's that late in the game, I think what's, what's kind of frustrating about it as well is Harris was playing a really good game. Harris had 16 carries, 102 yards, averaging 6.4 yards a rush. It wasn't like Newton needed to put it on his shoulders that much. Burkhead had had a carry a couple of plays earlier to convert a very important third down. You do these things and if it goes well, you're a hero. And if it goes wrong, it makes you look very bad. And unfortunately, Cam was on the wrong side of that this week. Yeah. And then... To your point about neither team particularly smelling a roses this week, the Bills moved the chain mostly on the ground. You know, the Patriots showed no ability to stop the run against San Fran last week. They couldn't stop it this week. Yeah, and I'm glad you kind of mentioned that because I actually want to talk about yards conceded on the ground. The Patriots conceded 188 yards on the ground, Buffalo 190 yards. That's basically a quarter of a mile combined that was rushed. <laughs> wow. So neither team was defending well against the run at all. But I mean, if you look at the receivers that the Patriots have got, you can kind of understand why they were running it so much. The wide receivers that Cam Newton targeted. Jacoby Myers, Damier Bird, Ryan Izzo, and Isaiah Zuba. Yeah. There's plenty to kind of criticise him on in terms of how the game ended. But I mean, it wasn't really like he had much to deal with if he was going to air it out. And... I think as well, a lot of people were looking to Allen this week to see if he had that kind of bounce back or redemption game to answer some of the questions that were out there from last week. And the inaccuracy was still an issue for him in this game. The wind in Buffalo could have been a factor in that. But I think that given Allen's history, that's probably being a bit kind. Yeah. In the first few games of the season, people were like, he looks like a different player. His accuracy was right up. He was nailing digs with some long balls. It looked like he finally kind of got that side of his game fixed. But I mean, the last kind of two, three games, he's reverted back to form. And so all those kind of Josh Allen truthers seem to have jumped right off that bandwagon. So does this open things up potentially for the Dolphins to sneak in there? It, it doesn't open things up because the Bills are what now? Six and two? Six and Six two, and two yeah. now? Yeah. So the team with the best record has won. I mean, it's going to be a challenge for the Dolphins to catch up with the Bills, but it's not impossible. If the Bills keep playing like the Bills are playing, they will get beaten by better teams. And I mean, the Patriots aren't a good team right now. Yeah. And they ran them very close, very close. If you were to ask right now who the best team is in the AFC East, I would say the Dolphins. I'd agree with you, I think. Yeah. Half of the season gone, half of the season left. Dolphins with the momentum. That is definitely for sure. Mm. Right, let's take it to the Bengals at the Titans with, I mean, I would say a bit of an upset game. I know you called it very close. I think you might have had Titans by three or something like that. So you certainly saw it closer than most. But I mean, going into this, the Bengals were down five offensive linemen against the Titans, who are on a strong record. In many, many shows this year, we've criticised the Bengals' offensive line. I think that I've called it criminal on several occasions. It's been bad. Five offensive linemen out, they didn't give up a single sack. Joe Burrow wasn't sacked once in this game. I mean, is that the solution? <laughs> Just cut the starting linemen, get the backups yeah. in. <laughs> Just don't give him a line. There was one point where, I mean, he didn't have any sacks, but bloody hell, he was close in one. There was a play at one point where he had to shake off about three would-be sackers and he made about eight yards on a run. I don't know how he didn't get sacked. 
this probably raises more questions about the Titans than it does anything else. This is the second straight game the Titans have lost now, sliding from 5-0 to 5-2. There's problems in this Titans team. Similar to the Bills, really. Both of those sides made great starts, and now we're seeing some problems within those teams. And actually, it goes to show, I mean, Derek Henry was only able to carry the ball 18 times, and that's largely because of the situation that the Titans were in for the whole of the game. But on those 18 attempts, he did manage to turn it into 112 yards and a touchdown. So it kind of goes to show, you know, everyone says, oh, Henry will do it. Henry will win it for them. Well, yes, he can. But you've got to put Henry in a position to be able to do that. If you're chasing games, Henry can only carry it so much and do so much for you. And the thing that I thought was quite interesting, though, was the Bengals have had quite a few players back this game on the defensive side. And defensively, they looked a hell of a lot stronger. Do you think that that's something that we might see a bit more going forward? And do you think that will put the Bengals in a better position to contest for games more often? You know what, Charles? It's really hard to say. I think that what didn't help was that Ryan Tannehill didn't have the best of games. He really didn't play well at all. Like you said, I was trying to find reasons for why the Titans lost this game. Because when you watch the game, they didn't look abysmal on the eye. Henry didn't look bad at all. I thought, first of all, uh, did they take Henry out of the game? Did they? But like you say, 18 attempts, 112 yards, 6.22 yards of carry, and a touchdown. Henry had a fine game. He was efficient. They're 0-2 now since they lost Taylor Lewin. They've lost Jack Conklin now. So some key players out. They've really got to turn things around quickly. One stat that I really like is the aggressiveness of a quarterback. The percentage of throws that they threw to receivers who had a defender within one yard of them. I talk about it a fair amount. Joe Burrow this week was one of the most aggressive quarterbacks in the league. I think he was the most aggressive quarterback. 29.7% of his throws, nearly one in three, were where there was that much coverage on a receiver. And he was making those throws. He didn't get intercepted. Wow. Yeah. And so optically, people talk about Joe Burrow, say he looks good, you know, say he's legit and all these kind of things. But I mean, if there's a stat to kind of back that up, it takes an awful lot of accuracy to have an aggressiveness rating of 29.7 and not get intercepted. Yeah, absolutely. Talking about teams then that had a bit of a bad day, shall we move on to the Raiders at the Browns and <laughs> discuss the Browns' shocking performance on many levels? Yeah, there are some mitigating circumstances. The wind was bad. <laughs> I don't like to blame the conditions, but watch the kick that Daniel Carson had at the end of the first play. Mayfield didn't play great, but his receivers didn't help him either. I mean, Mayfield didn't throw any interceptions, but you had players like Bryant, who had a great game last week, fumbling this week. Well, Landry had three drops, and two of those were in the end zone. When your wide receivers are pulling stunts like that, it makes it very difficult for you to have a good game. Landry had 11 targets and only caught four of them. Oh, yeah, desperate game. But on top of that, Mayfield did complete only half of his passes. He went 12 of 25 for 122 yards. And yes, you know, Landry dropped three of those, but he also got lucky that he didn't throw a pick in the second quarter, which was dropped by the Raiders' defence. We jump on Mayfield quite a bit, but look, if Landry had caught those three passes that he dropped, then suddenly Mayfield's completion percentage is 60%. And there were some other drops there as well. So his receivers definitely weren't helping him. Something else to think about as well is just how the kind of game script went. The Raiders had 37 and a half minutes possession against the Browns having only 22. Raiders just controlled the game. Let's not get things wrong as well. I mean, it was 6-6 until the start of the fourth quarter. Yeah. Neither side really was that great offensively. It could have gone a different way. Had Bryant not fumbled near the start, it might not have been 6-6 going into the fourth quarter. The Browns may have had a lead. My question is, in a game like this, where it is tight, where it is windy, where accuracy is potentially an issue, why is Hunt not seeing more passing action? 100% because Jacobs had 31 carries for 128 yards. Not exactly very efficient, that's, you know, 4.1 yards per carry, but he carried it 31 times. And you've got a player like Hunt, you know, right, Chubb's on IR and stuff, but Hunt is perfectly capable. You're absolutely right. I can't answer that. But I think, A, they would have had a lot more possession if Hunt had the ball more. They wouldn't have only had 22 minutes possession. Mm. And I think it would have suited those kind of conditions more. So strange kind of game calling. Yeah, it was. We bashed Mayfield a little bit. Derek Carr wasn't 
particularly impressive either. He went 15 of 24 for 112 yards. I know you're just waiting to criticise Carr. I know you hate him. No, no, no. I don't. I'm just, I'm being fair. That's all. I'm saying both quarterbacks were a bit meh. Yeah, both were a bit meh, but one quarterback is walking away with the W. And, you know, it's on Jacobs. One criticism of Jacobs, though, I said that his uh, efficiency wasn't great. He was poor on a goal line carry towards the uh, end of the game as well. Like oh, the Raiders yeah. could have really tied that game up. And he had a couple of attempts from about half a yard out and got stopped every single time. I criticise Edwards Allaire for that kind of thing. But I mean, Jacobs, who's had a lot of plaudits going his way, didn't look too clever on the goal line. So next one. So after a pretty tawdry low-scoring game, we're going on to the Colts' lines. 42-21 to the Colts. Huge day for a lot of players here. Rivers, 23 of 33, 262 yards, three touchdowns all in the first half. Yeah, it's one that you certainly called a lot closer than I did. You had it at two scores. 14 points and the difference was obviously 20 in the end so not far off and I thought it was going to be a much closer affair I had it at three the Colts just went at the Lions with their running backs and the Lions didn't have an answer you know we mentioned it at the beginning but Heinz's corkscrew touchdown and then subsequent somersault celebration was uh, pretty impressive the old flip six free hole <laughs> yeah absolutely The one thing I would say is Detroit managed to get within six after being 20 points behind, but then Stafford had a bit of a meltdown. He fumbled because of a strip sack and then completely telegraphed to pick six, which just ended the game there, basically. Yeah, I mean, that Colts D ended up with five sacks, nine tackles for loss, a pick six and a forced fumble that was recovered. A huge game from a Colts. The Colts defense is elite. It's in the conversation for one of the besties in the league and we talk about good D's every single week I don't think we talk about the Colts enough what I want to talk about with the Colts Devo is defending the run there's a couple of stats here that have blown my mind the Lions didn't run an awful lot partly through game script just partly because they just couldn't Peterson had five carries how many yards do you think he made on five carries Charles oh I know it was very low is it 20 mate it's seven. Oh, well there you go <laughs> But get this right, his longest carry was seven yards. So you take away his longest carry and he's left at four carries for zero yards. I don't understand why Peterson is still seeing the volume of touches that he is. Well, I'm going to come on to that. Maybe why, Charles? DeAndre Swift had a carry more than Peterson. He had six carries. How many yards do you think he had? I'm assuming fewer. (laughs) One. Oh, dear. He had one yard on six carries. And again, his longest carry was five yards. So you take away his longest carry, and he's at five carries for minus four yards. This is what the Colts did to the running game of the Lions. This is the second game now where the Colts have um, restricted a team to less than 30 yards on the ground. They did it against Chicago as well. Chicago had 29 yards against them. Lions had 29 yards against them. First half, Colts only gave up five yards on the ground. They are an absolute run-stopping machine. Yeah, I think the only thing for the Colts is their offense, really, isn't it? It's which Philip Rivers are you going to get on any given week. This week, outstanding. You know, this was the positive side of the gunslinger. But then you have other weeks where you get the flip side of that coin, don't you? You do, but I think that, you know, maybe he's kind of getting a bit more comfortable with the offense that he's got there don't forget you know this is his first year with his team it might be his only year with his team but it's his first year with a team he's got to get a rapport up I think certainly if you look at the second four games against the first four games he's been looking a lot more clever in these last four games and so he might have you know gelled a little bit more okay go on then Joe you take us into the next game I'm sure you can't wait uh oh yeah so the next game the next game was an NFC North clash between the 5-1 and one Packers and the 1-5 and five Vikings. How did that go, Charles? Not too great. I'll tell you what it did do. It upset Pickhams, which had 99% <laughs> for the Packers, as we discussed last week. Turns out a lot of people got that one wrong. 91% of bettors who bet on this game took the Packers at minus 5.5. To be honest, I had it as a Packers win last week, so I'm not exactly We both gonna... did. We both had it Packers yeah. by 14, so this was quite yes. the upset. Yeah, so I'm not going to be a smarty pants here. (laughs) What a game. I mean, I'm going to talk about this almost exclusively from a Packers point of view, and you can give us the flip side. But I think there's two issues here that I spotted this week in particular that 
I have great concern around. One is something that I've actually mentioned a couple of times on the podcast. The Packers really have a very weak run defense. And what's papering over that crack is their offense most weeks. You know, it's Aaron Rodgers airing the ball out and it's Aaron Jones thumping it down people's throats. My concern is that we are going to come up against teams in the playoffs, you know, assuming that we get there, that have very strong run games. And if we can't counter that, then all you're doing is relying on your offense to score more than your defense leaks. And we saw how that went with the 49ers last year. I don't see how anything changes. I suppose what I don't know is whether that's a personnel issue or a coaching one. Looking at the game last week, we seem to be leaving gaps, especially around the goal line, that seem really odd, especially when you know that Cook is just going to run it at you. But then on top of that, there were a lot of missed tackles. So it's probably a little bit of both. But um, last I heard, Dan Quinn is still looking for a job. So... (laughs) You say this kind of every week and you criticise the Green Bay run defence. So I looked up the stats and, you know, they're not great, but they're 10th worst in the league. They're also 10th worst against the pass. Well, that surprises me more. Yeah, in terms of yards allowed per attempt, they're 10th worst. So the whole D really isn't doing its job. I think there's only really been one game this season when you can say Rodgers didn't play that well. I don't think this is on Rodgers or the offense. I think this no. is purely a defensive issue. And I mean, the second thing that I was going to say is we are currently committing way too many penalties, which is only a pattern that I've noticed in the last couple of games, but it's a concerning one. And it's one that's contributing to losses. But I think one thing you do have to say is absolutely hats off to Cook. I'm slagging off the defense here and talking about penalty issues on top of that but Cook is a tremendous runner and just he looked fantastic out there fresh off an injury yeah I think that a lot of people thought that he wouldn't have such a high workload given the fact that he's just done his hammy and he was coming back from that he had 30 rush attempts Cousins only attempted 15 passes only connected with 11 Cousins threw for 160 yards Cook ran for 163 yards I'd probably say as well, though, aside from the rush, the most impressive play and the one that made Green Bay look the worst was actually his 50-yard reception touchdown. I mean, how many defenders did he skin there? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm going to say four. It felt like maybe more, but I'm always biased when I see like Vikings players do these kind of things. I'm pretty sure he skinned your whole team, but I'm, but I'm going to say four. There was missed tackles. They were trying to do like shirt tackles. Yeah, there were a lot of missed tackles there, a lot. Someone who wasn't missing tackles was Kendricks. There's a lot that you can criticise the Vikings D for this year, and I'll be the first to say it. The Vikings D, on the whole, has been trash. But Kendricks has been playing at a Pro Bowl standard. Another huge game for him, 12 tackles, 8 solo. I think with Barr going down, Kendricks is taking it on his shoulders. He probably won't get a Pro Bowl nod because of how bad the Vikings D are doing, but if you watch Vikings games, if you even just look at his stats, Kendricks is having a huge year. Cool. Let's move on swiftly then, Joe, if you've got nothing more to add. (laughs) I've got plenty to add, but I'll let you move on. (laughs) Let's go to the Chiefs of the Jets. Wow. The one thing I will say is this went almost exactly as you called it last week. So I think you had the Chiefs to win by 31 points. It ended up 35-9. So all you really needed was the Chiefs to score one more or the Jets to score one less. (laughs) But... Patrick Mahomes went 31 of 42 through 416 yards for five touchdowns and, as you predicted, didn't even play the whole game. <laughs> yeah, Chad Henney out for the second straight week. I mean, this doesn't really feel like a game that we need to dwell on much, really, because I don't think we really learned anything from it at all. Jets bad, Chiefs good. Mahomes, he's now 20 touchdowns for one interception on the season at the midway point. So obviously tracking for 40 touchdowns against two interceptions, which would be ridiculous. But who's to say that he won't do that? One thing to maybe bring into this, the running game on the Chiefs. Now you'd expect when they kind of took a lead as big as they did over the Jets, they'd probably run the ball a little bit more. Blair and Bell both had six carries. Elair turned six carries into 21 yards, which is an efficiency of just over three, which isn't great at all. Bell was worse, six carries for seven yards. 
Each had three targets, though. Bell turned his three targets into three receptions for 31 yards. Elaire turned his three receptions into 10 yards. So Elaire outpaced Bell on the ground by three times. Bell outpaced Elaire in receiving by three times. It's a small sample size, but interesting because I know that a lot of people are interested on what the kind of splits will be between those two kind of going forward. And I guess that we learned nothing from this because neither really was that good in the running game and neither really got properly into the passing game. Yeah, good point. One more thing before we move on. I just wanted to ask if you knew who the Jets' highest paid player on the field was during this match. Oh, that's a really good question. Donald's still on a rookie contract. I'm going to put you out of your misery because it's a trick question. Go on. It's Le'Veon Bell because they're still paying him <laughs> $6 million. <laughs> That's madness. That's absolutely madness. Wow. Your highest paid player plays for the opposition. That is really incredible. And just to finish here, Jets are now 0-8. That's the fifth game this season where they've scored 10 points or less. Going to list the teams who they've got coming up on their schedule. Stop me when you think they're going to get a win. Patriots, Chargers, Dolphins, Raiders, Seahawks, Rams, Browns, Patriots... Are they going 0-16 this year, Charles? Oh, yeah. Unless something dramatic happens, there's not a single team there that I would say you'd fancy them to be. How mad is it maybe when the best chance that the Jets have of picking up their first win of the season might be against the Patriots? <laughs> yeah. What what universe is this? <laughs> what, what universe do we live in? They're still not going to because of the Jets. You could basically list out probably any eight teams in any order, and I'd probably still say that the Jets will lose all eight of them. Maybe Dallas would be the only one where I'd say, I don't know for sure. Let's move on then to the Dolphins at the Rams. Tua's first win. He's one for one. But if you weren't watching, you probably think that Tua had a fantastic game. In reality, it was all down to the Dolphins' DST, wasn't it, Joe? Yeah, Tua didn't really have to do anything at all. Well, he didn't. <laughs> well, he did get strip sacked. So, you know, there's that. He went 12 of 22 for 93 yards. Yeah, yeah. He did throw a TD. Finished with a rating of 80.3. The Miami D and special teams really stepped up. You had the first punt return for a touchdown of the season. Jakeem Grant got up to 21.15 miles per hour. It was bloody fast, but it wasn't the fastest play of the week. I'm not even going to make you guess that because the fastest player of the week was Trevon Diggs in his interception return. But 88-yard punt return touchdown from Grant. Which Scott Hansen was thrilled about. Scott Hansen was thrilled about. He's been waiting for one. It's taken eight game weeks, but there you go. You had a scoop and score from Ranginkle. So look, Tua didn't have to do much. He wasn't really tested. Welcome to the National Football League. I'm Aaron Donald. There was a little bit of that. But I mean, the Dolphins' O didn't really do anything at all. 55 rush yards, 93 receiving yards. At one point, Miami had 28 points for 56 net offensive yards. Goff looked like he was in a nightmare, didn't he? This is the other side of it, right? Goff was a dumpster fire. Goff had 61 pass attempts, landed 35 of them. He targeted Cup 21 times. Talk about needing a safety blanket. Goff ended up one touchdown, two interceptions, 65.9 rating. Not very good at all. And he looked bad. We're talking stats here because we like to back things up with stats. But watch that game. He didn't look good at all, did he? Nope. What do you think this means for the Rams? Because they've now had this loss to the Dolphins. They got battered by Washington football team. Defensively, they normally look quite good. And they weren't bad in this game from a defense perspective. But their offense has zero teeth. Their offense has nothing. They've had a balanced O for the last kind of couple of years when you had Pete Gurley that was opening up the passing game. Right now, you're throwing the ball 61 times and you're throwing it the cup 21 times. They're not utilizing players like Reynolds properly. The vaunted tight ends that they had just aren't really doing much. And a lot of it just stems from Goff as well because I just don't really think Goff is playing anywhere near what some people thought he had the potential to play at. The only thing which is helping the Rams out right now is that 49ers are having a nightmare. But, you know, with the Seahawks and Cardinals playing quite well. Yeah, slim chance of anything this season, is there? On the other hand, though, 
where else are the other wildcard playoff teams coming from? You've got three wildcard spots. It's definitely not coming from the NFC East. I'm going to tell you that right now. You're not getting a wildcard team there. The Chicago Bears have been playing pretty trash the last few games. Well, they sit at five. I mean, I think you'll get a playoff spot from the NFC North. I'm not saying you won't, but the Bears are five and three, and the Bears don't really deserve to be five and three. I still think the Rams at five and three have more chance to finish with a better record than the Bears. So as long as the Rams stay in front of the 49ers, I still think the Rams will get playoff football. Okay. But it will be a one and out. Right, let's talk Steelers at Ravens. Joe, you called the correct team to win this time. I bat the Ravens. More fool me. Steelers march on. You know, game of a week in terms of the two teams playing here. It's just once again, Lamar Jackson in a big games just doesn't seem to do it. Completely agree. He looked rattled. I mean, threw a pick six on the very first drive, telegraphed throws. This was really a game that was won by the excellence of the Steelers' defence, I think, and the ineptitude of the Ravens' offence. The Steelers' offence wasn't particularly impressive either, Joe. Big Ben didn't have a great game. Big Ben didn't really pass the eye test. He didn't have a great game. A few other things as well, just a small thing I want to mention. I talked up the Steelers' wide receiver room last week. I stand by that. Chase Claypool had his third fumble of the season, though. So just something to watch out there for him. The Steelers' O didn't have the best game, but they did enough. And the Ravens' O didn't do enough. You're absolutely right there about Jackson looking rattled. I think what's going to kind of rattle him even more, Stanley was lost in that game. I mean, after signing a mega contract, what are the odds of that? Like days later. Get Alanis Morissette on the phone. Someone needs to sing ironic. Days later from signing the biggest contract that a tackle has ever signed, he goes and does his ankle. He's out for the season. His replacement, Ty Phillips, also did his ankle. Don't know how long he's out for, but you're going to have a very depleted left tackle now. So Jackson's going to have to really watch his own back. And that's not going to help him kind of going into the stretch. I said, Charles, at the start of this season, the Ravens were still a winning side, but they weren't a 13-3 side anymore. I'm standing by that. I said 10-6. Might have been slightly harsh there, but I still think they're going to be the wrong side of 12 wins. Stanley being out is going to have a large impact on their offence, which actually I think is the thing that's letting them down here. You know, in the losses that they have had, Jackson has looked very disappointing in those games. I think the defence has still performed admirably and will continue to do so. But I think offensively, they're just not as strong as some of these other teams like the Chiefs. And I think they will ultimately fall short. I don't think that this is a team that's ready to contend for Super Bowl yet. And I mean, mentally as well, right? They were 17-7 up at the half. They held the ball for 20 minutes in the first half. They're playing at home. All of these things going into the half, you should be thinking, we need to wrap this up, boys, and finish this game. The Steelers... Had all that going against him, but still managed to turn the game around. So, you know, the Steelers are showing that kind of winning grit there. 100%. Big Ben had completed just four passes in the opening half. So yeah. all you need to do is just keep that ball chugging along the ground. Just make sure you're continuing to score so that the other team can't get back into the game. But they didn't do enough of that. No, no. It totally flipped round. Ravens penalties. Nine penalties gave up 110 yards. Wow. Yeah. It's a Although lot, we it? saw that in the Chiefs game, didn't we? That's what undid them against the Chiefs, the amount of penalties. Yeah. And, you know, there seems to be a pattern here that in the big games when the Ravens are playing good teams, Lamar Jackson doesn't play. They can't handle vet quarterbacks who know what they're doing and they give up penalties. There's a weak underbelly to this Ravens team. One thing that I do want to say before we move on, though, is I think... We spoke about J.K. Dobbins and your tin hat theory the other week. This kind of gave a little bit of support to that, I think, because this was a very important game for the Ravens. A very important game, and they got him out there, didn't they? And they got him out there. And he played great. He had a stunning game, 113 yards on just 15 carries. You could have been absolutely bang on the money for this. 5G Area 51 (laughs) and J.K. Dobbins. Add it to the list. Absolutely. I think what will be the interesting thing to see is if they hide him again next game. If you see him disappear next game, you're on to something here for sure. <laughs> I'll definitely be watching. Watch yeah. the skies as well. 
<laughs> but Pittsburgh do have that tiebreaker against the Ravens now, if it comes down to that. Exactly. They've got that tiebreaker. They're two games in front. Yeah. It's very hard now for the Steelers to maybe not be at least second seed. Agreed. Kansas City are first or second seed. Pittsburgh are first or second seed. And then work out the rest. Yeah. Yeah. Moving on then to Broncos 31, Chargers 30. And what does Herbert have to do to drag his team over the line? I'm starting to feel really sorry for him now because he is stringing together good performance after good performance. And this team, he's just not getting the support he needs to win games, I don't think. He's certainly not getting it from his defense. There's players on the Chargers O who are making plays, but they're not closing out games. There's no way you should have a lead like that and give it up against the Broncos. 24-3 they led by. Three scores and they gave it up. And now they've even traded Desmond King to the Titans. And I'm not really sure what that means. Does that mean that they felt he wasn't performing so they got rid of him? Are they looking for picks in an almost rebuild? Because what, the Chargers are 2-5. and five. They're at the bottom of the AFC West. I mean, the Broncos are above them on 3-4. and four, where The Broncos have a tiebreaker now as well. So they're going to be rooted to the bottom of their division. I think that the Chargers are maybe already starting to look at picks next year. But they got a sixth round pick for him. It's not money. Yeah, it's not money really, is it, Charles? But it's also taking high paid vets off the bill. That was going to be my other question to you. The Titans have picked him up. We know that the Titans have paid Derek Henry big, big money. King comes off his rookie contract at the end of this season. So is he just a half-season loan? I think he is. I think that the Titans have probably looked at the points that they've been shipping, and they have shipped more points than a championship team can allow. They've given up 184 points in seven games, which is, you know, 25 points a game. It's not good enough. So they're getting that vet support in for half a season. Unless he absolutely balls out, which he probably won't do, he'll be released. They'll get maybe a compensatory pick for him. And that's what they're doing. It's not a bad move. They need the help there, so why not? And, and I think from a Chargers, the Chargers are just like, you know, we've got to rebuild this team around Herbert now. Yeah. The only thing I would say, though, just in kind of defense a little bit, is I believe, and you can correct me on this if I'm wrong, I believe the Chargers are one of the only teams, though, who haven't lost a game by more than seven points. I can't recall... Yeah, that not being the case. And this is why I feel so sorry for Herbert because I feel like he keeps getting it so close and his team's just not helping him out. They haven't lost a game by more than seven points and I think there's only four teams in the NFL that can say that and one of them is the unbeaten Steelers. So had luck gone the other way, we could be talking about a five and two team here perhaps. It's just something to think about. Talking about defence then, let's move on to the Saints and the Bears. And I'm going to open this up. Yes, the Bears' offense is absolutely dreadful. I, I don't think anyone's questioning that. But their defense is so good that I think it is going to keep dragging them through games. I don't think it is, Charles. I don't think it is. I don't think it's that good. The offense is so bad that the differential between the two, I think, looks greater than what it is. But the Bears should not have even been in this game based on how badly the offense played, and they still took it to overtime against the Saints. I think the only thing that I would say on that kind of difference between the offense and the defense is you've got to think that at some point in the season, that's going to cause such a fracture that the team just becomes dysfunctional. Because why are the defense going out and putting their bodies on the line every single week, working their butts off to keep the Bears in games if the offense aren't going to show up because surely you know you get 10 games into a season and you go why am I doing this it gets tiring as well because the defense shouldn't be on the field as much as the Bears defense are on the field this kind of ties into things too but the reason they kind of look good is because they're getting so many chances to make kind of big plays just going to hit you with a few stats here though Charles in terms of yards allowed per offensive play the Bears rank ninth in the league so you know good but not elite in terms of takeaways the Bears aren't up there at all the Bears have had nine takeaways no they're more of a stopping team than they are a turnover team exactly yeah so they're ranked 20th in terms of takeaways I think they're first in terms of red zone stops right 
what I would say, in terms of drives ending in an offensive score, they're only the 11th best. Interesting. So in most of the stats here, they kind of sit the edge of the top 10. We're just seeing them a lot. We're seeing them make plays a lot because they're on the field a lot. But I don't think they're elite. I wouldn't put them top three. I think that they're always going to drag them out of the playoffs. So talking about their offense then, what's going to happen at quarterback here, Joe? Because we both said it at the time that putting Mitch felt premature. And Foles is demonstrating that he's adding absolutely nothing to this offense. But is it even worth going back to Mitch? What do you do in a situation like this? I really do stand by that. It's so complex now because you've had this player who basically in three games, he was just having one bad game out of three games. He had led the team to a 2-0 start. He was probably going to lose the third game. But since Foles has taken over, he's 3-2. His touchdown to interceptions are six against six, so one for one. And he's had a 76.6 quarterback rating. Trubitsky, going up to the point he was pulled, let's say he was two and one because he was going to lose that third game, six three touchdown to interception ratio and an 87.4 rating. So that's just a little bit of stat there to kind of back up what we were saying about Trubitsky wasn't playing terrible. Folds has been playing, I think, statistically and visually worse than Trubisky since he's come here. He was good. He was good for half a game in that first half a game. And then since then, he's been terrible. He's been really, really bad. His throws are errant. He's making the wrong decisions. He's just been bad, Charles. Yeah, completely agree. But then I suppose that's the question. Do they go back to Mitch? Because it's not like Trubisky was lighting it up. What do you do in this situation? That's where I don't know where the Bears go from here. Neither quarterback is the one that's going to deliver them to victory. So do you stick with what you've got until the end of the season? Or do you give it back to Mitch and say, have another go, see what you can do? I think when you've moved on, it's really hard to move back. That's not to say it can't happen, but you've burned some bridges there. I think the fan base as well wouldn't want that. I mean, where do you go though? Because they've already played themselves into a decent record. If they lost every single game, the rest of the games will still end up 5-11. and 11, And they probably will sneak a win here and there. So you're not in a position to take a top quarterback from a draft. So your only option really is to do an expensive trade. Maybe try and pick someone up like a Mariota or a Tyrod Taylor kind of type. That's your best option going into 2022 now. And all the while that you're doing this, you're wasting a window with a championship defense they're good enough to be a championship defense they're not one of the top units in the league I don't think that but you can win a Super Bowl with the Bears defense if you had a bit of an average offense but time's running out you hope Foles turns it around very quickly there's no evidence of that but that's what you hope for but I don't think you can go back to Trubs now man I just don't think you can I think that bridge is burnt one last thing on this game though we said about it Kung Fu fighting man and uh, Javon wins or should I say Javon Wimp? Because when you suck a punch a guy, you should make sure he goes down. But I mean, uh, I, I, you see, wh- I'm lost for words here <laughs> because it's just the, it's the stupidest thing to do. What are you doing punching a man with a helmet on? Your career is based around catching things with your hand. So you, yeah. so you punch your hand into a hardened resin helmet. <laughs> what, what idiot. Like, that's idiot. just the stupidest thing to do. <laughs> He's like, yeah, well, I got him. He probably felt that less than the next tackle he's going to put in. Yeah. What's the point? What have you achieved? You got his chain, though. (laughs) An expendable wide receiver who, you know, your place on the roster is relatively shaky. You really don't want to be doing that kind of thing. You really don't. And he had 11 minutes to call off. So this all came from when CJG ripped off the uh, mouth guard of Wims. And Wims took umbrage that he had his mouth guard ripped off and thrown away which which you know it's a bit annoying it's been annoying but he had 11 minutes to go and sit on the bench and calm down and he didn't like <laughs> you know just think about your career once in those 11 minutes idiot move two game suspension let's see how long it is before the bears cut him maybe yeah so that was a game that i got the differential bang on saints by three points going to lead us straight into another game that I got the deferential bang on for, which was Seahawks 37, 49ers 27. So by 10. Charlie Dimes with all the picks. (laughs) Let's talk about that game because 
the Seahawks went into that missing Jamal Adams, Shaq Griffin, Ugo Amadi, and Chris Carson. But Wilson and Metcalf went berserk. Yeah, so quick takes from this. I think that any conversations now about the best wide receiver in the league, you've got to have DK Metcalf in that conversation now. You have to. It's not just the level of production that he's got. It's the way he's getting that production. He's making plays that you wouldn't expect an average wide receiver to make. Everyone knew that he was a physical freak coming into this league. But when players come into the league with something that's so good, people are always quick to try to find a reason to shoot these players down. So he came in massively strong. He came in massively fast. Oh, yeah, so he can't run routes and all of this kind of stuff. And he can't get himself open. And people were very quick to say that kind of stuff about him. He's just showing everyone who said that was an idiot. And he's just making the plays. He's fun to watch. Enjoy the tape. Is there a wide receiver who's playing better right now? I'll be honest, Charles, I don't think there is. I don't think there is either. But I think that this also speaks to what you talked about with the Steelers last week, which is they've got such a strong wide receiver room here at the Seahawks that it enables these players to have really big games as well. Because the week before, we saw Lockett go off. So Sam Fran doubled down on on Lockett this week. He was in double coverage all the time. So Russ just turns to Metcalf. That's all he needs to do. And I was watching the game and the commentator at one point said, oh, why aren't they doubling Metcalf? Come on, it's obvious. Well, no, it isn't. Because the moment they double Metcalf, Lockett goes off. You can't double them both. Like, they're both incredible wide receivers and then you got more as well i kind of half agree with you here i do agree it's a good wide receiver room but there's a couple of factors here i think are making it look a little bit better than it is from a production point of view i mean first of all the seahawks defense aren't playing particularly well so there's games where you kind of need to score because the defense isn't going to stop teams you've got to put put the points up and when you need to put points up quickly you go to your wide receivers point one point two as well at the minute, the running back room for Seahawks is pretty depleted. I mean, you've got Carson, who's been battling injuries for most of the season. Hyde is injured. I mean, they were down to, what, two running backs? I think Homer was one. And um, so you've only kind of got one option, really, and that's to air the ball out. And it's not just an option. It's almost a formality you have to do because you're giving up so many points. Whereas a team like the Steelers is still more balanced. I mean, James Conner isn't efficient. But him and Snell are getting a lot of totes still. And the defense means that they don't have to air the ball out as much. So yeah, I agree with you. But I wouldn't say they're the best. I would still vote for the Steelers. And let's talk about San Fran then. My goodness. Garoppolo injured again. Tevin Coleman injured again. Now Kittle's out. What does this mean for their season? Jimmy G is constantly playing bad. And it's constantly this injury thing. Make him sit out. Say he's injured. So he's not looked good in training. We don't want to activate him and keep him out and just give Mullins a bit of a run now because Jimmy G has not done anything for weeks. Seb look handsome. (laughs) That dashing man. (laughs) So they've racked up a whole bunch more injuries. They played the Packers next. I mean, it looked like the 49ers were just starting to turn things around. Yeah. Is this it now? Is that that the nail in the coffin? If it's not the last nail, they're definitely nailing up the last side now in such a competitive division there as we always say they're four and four they're bottom of the nfc west they've had a lot of injuries they've definitely had more than their fair share of injuries oh yeah they've been racked with them the team had its kind of soul sucked out of it when nick Bozer went down it's a long way back charles when you've got the seahawks you've got the cardinals and you've got losing records against both of those sides it's a long way back at this stage, you've got to say that unless something big happens, unless Jimmy G learns how to pass the ball, I don't see him coming back, mate. Do you? No, I think, unfortunately, once you add Kittle into the mix, I just can't see where the offensive points are coming from. He's out for the whole season now, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Broken foot bone. So there goes your best offensive weapon. And not just that, there goes protection on your line as well, because he's a tight end who does everything. He blocks well. He loves blocking. Absolutely. So, yeah, I completely agree. I think he's a big loss to them in more than just the offensive sense. It's such a long way back. I wouldn't want to write off a team like the 49ers, but one will win, and I think I will. And, I mean, Green Bay don't often have two bad games back-to-back. So we'll come on to the Predos later. 
Do you know what? We say this every week, but I actually mean it this time. NFC East matchup because somebody from here has to go to the playoffs. It looks like it's going to be the Eagles, but despite the 23-9 scoreline, both teams were bad. Yeah. I mean, against the worst defence in the league, Wentz finished 15 of 27 for 123 yards and four turnovers. So I stayed up and watched this game and I crawled up to bed at about quarter past four. My wife said to me, was it good? And I was like, no. And she's like, why did you stay up then? I was like, I don't know. I don't know why I watched it. This game had everything in terms of bad. I've been criticising Wentz for a long time, and I'm just glad that everyone else is starting to see it the same way. He was abysmal, and it's stuff that's his fault. You look at the first two sacks that he ate up, and I mean, it wasn't like there was a left tackle who didn't do his job and he got blindsided. The player who sacked him came from 10 yards in front of him and ran straight (laughs) at him, like straight at him. He didn't move. He was like a rabbit caught in the headlights. He didn't move. And it was his fault as well because he rolled out the wrong side of the pocket. So all his wide receivers had gone right. So all his guys were over the other side of the field. He rolls out left. And the only players on the field left are two linebackers who are coming straight at him. There was ample time to throw the ball away. And he just ate up a huge sack. He was doing stuff like that. And then on the other side of the ball, I mean, you got sidearm Danucci there throwing the ball like Uncle Rico. One of the things I was trying to do prior to this podcast was find a stat on how many times he threw the ball sidearm. But I'm going to go on a limb here and say he threw the ball sidearm more times than Patrick Mahomes has in his career. It seems like he couldn't throw the ball properly. All he could do was sidearm it, and it made him look even more crap. Like <laughs> He never thought he was going to play an NFL game at quarterback. He's been watching Patrick Mahomes, his hero, and he finally gets a, an opportunity to step on the field, and he's, he's just trying to look like a big boy. Even when he was throwing a ball over the sideline, he was still sidearming it. It was, it was, it was perverse. I, I don't know what was going on. Maybe that's why I stayed up and watched it. Maybe I was just enjoying the sidearms. Terrible game, Charles. Terrible game. Yeah, so we shall say, say no, no more. more. Let's, yeah, let's move on. Let's move on absolutely. to Bucks to the Giants, man. That was one that absolutely caught me by surprise. 25-23 to the Bucks. I mean, the Giants were up after the first three quarters. Yeah, like you start getting on a team's bandwagon and they go and do this to you. They still won, but you shouldn't be that close against the Giants, really. I don't know what went wrong, you know. The Buccaneers seem to give up a few big plays on the run, despite normally being really, really solid there. Rojo fumbled, which, you know, he has a history of doing. He does too much, yeah, yeah. yeah. But thankfully, another player with a past record is Tom Brady and fourth quarter comebacks. So thank God they had him. Mr. Fourth quarter, yeah, look, weird game. Let's just talk about one thing. How did you see the final play of the game on that two-point conversion? I don't know. I saw the arguments both ways i think it ended how it should have okay i disagree with you do you think it should have been pass interference yes yeah. i'm gonna say first of all that anton winfield jr i believe should be in the conversation for defensive rookie of the year he's been very very good and as sad as it is for a vikings fan seeing a winfield and anton winfield on a team that is in the vikings and i know that a lot of fans wanted us to draft him he has been playing very very good with this play though Jones kind of threw the pass wrong and so everyone had to turn back on themselves but it was pass interference did Anton Winfield make contact before the receiver had caught the ball and hinder the receiver so he couldn't catch the ball yes he did that's just the rules and I mean the referee he threw the flag out and he was right yeah he did yeah so he's then to go and pick the flag up I think there's a lot wrong with that I think the call was right to start with they shouldn't have overturned it Well, they didn't even overturn it because they didn't actually give the decision there. But I think they got it wrong. Jones had a very up and down game, didn't he? There were moments of brilliance, especially on that final drive. He made some clutch passes to get that touchdown. But then, you know, he had some other very sketchy bits of play where he missed wide open passes. There were a number of turnovers. There's just a lack of consistency there from him, isn't there? You know, there's moments where he shines, but not enough. The whole reason we're having this conversation about this pass interference is because Jones, A, took too long to throw the ball and B, threw a very bad pass. He threw it so it was on the verge of being uncatchable because it was behind the receiver. 
if he had seen the open man quicker and thrown the ball in a catchable place, it would have been two points and we'd be going to overtime and we wouldn't be talking about pass interference. You're right. He's yeah. inconsistent. And I think that's just the definition of his first couple of years in the National Football League. He'll play one game great and then play three games terrible. And we had a bit of both in this one. Right. Should we move on to our predictions, Let's show? move on to the Predos, Charles. Week nine predictions. Thursday night game, one for you to stay up for, Charles. Packers against the 49ers, Levi Stadium. How do you have it? Do you know what? I really deliberated about this quite a bit because I'm very down on the Packers run defense and the 49ers are a very run heavy team with troubles with the quarterback and no Kittle. They may rely more heavily on the run. I do, however, think they are incredibly injured. And if the Packers can't beat a kicked when they're down 49ers team then there's bigger issues there so I've got the Packers by 10. Yeah I've got a Packers by 8 and just to add something to it as well there's motivation here because this was the NFC championship game last year I'm sure obviously the Packers got done in and I think they'll really really be wanting to go and beat the 49ers to get some payback for that. Packers by 8. Next game Broncos at the Falcons. Oh man, this one's tough because the Broncos sneak wins from time to time, but they're a bad team. The Falcons... Sneak losses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what? I am, I'm going to go Broncos because the Falcons have annoyed me too many times. So I'll say Broncos by three. I'm going back to the abuse and I'm going Falcons again. Uh, Falcons by... Falcons by 10. Okay. Seahawks at Bills. Seahawks. Yeah, by? 14. Yeah, that's exactly how I have it. Seahawks by 14. Yeah, okay. Ravens at Colts? I think this one's going to be a little bit closer than uh, I think most people predict, but I'm going Ravens by 10. I'm going Colts by three. Oh, 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 you bad boy. Look, I've said 10-6. The Ravens have got to start getting some of these losses from somewhere. I think the Colts are going to serve up a nice juicy L for them. Okay. Texans at Jaguars. Oh, this is definitely a game I'm not going to be too interested in watching. No. Uh, I'm going to say Texans, and I'll go Texans by seven. I'm going to go Jags by three. Panthers against the Chiefs. Chiefs by 20? I'm going Chiefs by 14. Okay. Lions at Vikings? Mm, I don't know where to put this one. I'm going to say Lions by three. I'm worried about jinxing this right because every time I've gone for a Vikings win, they've lost. And every time I've gone for a Vikings loss, they've won. And they've definitely lost a lot more than they've won this year. However, I do have bias. I think the Lions stink. I'm going to go Vikings by 10. So the Vikings will lose. (laughs) Uh, Right, moving on to Bears at Titans then. I'm just concerned about tackle for the Titans. Losing Taylor Lewin, losing Conklin, and then coming up against Khalil Mack. But the Bears just suck so much on offense. I'm going to have to go Titans still. Titans by three. Yeah, I've got Titans by three as well. Okay. So in the uh, explosive NFC East, we've got Giants against Washington. Washington by 10. Washington by one. Raiders at Chargers then. Oh, this is a hard one. I think of all the ones so far, this is probably the hardest one. Herbert to take the Chargers into a two-score lead and Raiders to win it by three. Yeah, I've got Raiders by seven. Next game, Dolphins against Cardinals. I really want the Dolphins train to keep on moving. I think they've been bad for a number of years now. They're playing some much better football and they're getting some great results, but I think it probably ends here for them. I've got Cardinals by 10. I'm going to give this one a chance. I've seen Cardinals lose games or come close in games I thought they should have won. And... The Dolphins were very, very good across DST last week, and we've seen what defences can do if your offence is just average. Say that offence is just average. I'm going Dolphins by three. Hard one here, Charles. Steelers at Cowboys. (laughs) How do we see that going? Steelers by 21. I just don't see how the Cowboys score any points in this, unless they get to like the 50-yard line and Greg Zuline does a 68-yard field goal. Yeah, you see, I think they'll get a few kicks. No, I'm going to say Steelers 24-0. I'm going to say Steelers 24-0. Saints at Bucks. I've got Bucks by 14. I think this is going to be the kind of mid-season wake-up call for the Bucks. It should have been last week, but they got away with a win. I think Saints are going to come into this a little bit better than the Saints have been playing. They'll have Michael Thomas back next week. Kamara's really started to kick off form. Shock win, Saints by one. And then finally, 
Pats against the Jets. Is this the one that they sneak a win, Joe? No. No, I don't think so. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> what do we say to a Jets victory? Not today. <laughs> Patriots by 10. Yeah, I'm going to go Patriots by 14. All right. Well, I think that pretty much wraps it up for this week. As always, feel free to take a look on our website where we keep all our predictions, where we've got our latest episodes. There's lots of stuff for you to take a look at. Or As always, you can follow us on all the social channels or email us at playsheetpodcast at gmail.com. So do get in touch, stay active, and we'll see you next week. We'll see you next week.